I'm one of the pastors here. I work with student ministries. I hang out with teenagers. And I have to tell you that I think, personally, I have the best job there is. I mean, I love my job. I get to hang out with teenagers, all kinds of teenagers. In fact, we got a few teenagers here this morning who last night, they played the semifinals and are making their way to state next week. Let's go Woodenville Falcons, huh? Okay. All right. But I do love my job. It's so cool. We've been talking about the Katali Project for a few weeks here at Overlake, and we've been talking about it in student ministries too. And we decided to set a goal. We're like, hey, we could raise $15,000. Let's do it. Let's raise $15,000 as a student ministries. And if you do it, we will shave Connor's head. That's what we told the students. Bring $15,000 in and we'll shave his head. So students started coming up with all these ideas, uh, just really creative things, making art, uh, raising, just asking people for money, which is always a good thing to do. Teenagers are really good at doing. Um, but we had a couple of really creative. We had two freshman girls, um, Maggie and Joe. They went out and ordered uh, those plastic, uh, rubbery, like, circle bracelets that you print something on. It says Katali Project OCC. They sold them for $200. $200. Very expensive. But going to a good cause for $2, and they've raised tons of money. In fact, we actually have some uh, on your way out. You could grab one if you were interested. And then, this is great, we have this sixth grade boy. He's 11 years old. Imagine this. His name is Levi, and he decides that he is going to make bracelets. Actually, he corrected me. They're bro bands, so not to be confused with bracelets. But they're this leather band, and they put little metal things on top that you can put essential oils on. So it smells like lavender if you need to calm yourself down. You know, that's pretty great. He sold those for five bucks, made over $300 for the Katali Project. Yeah, 11 years old. How cool is that? I think, I really do, I think teenagers are the best. And so we had them bring all their money the night on a, a October, November 15th. That's when we did it. We had them bring all their money in. And they brought in $13,814. How great is that? But they were short. They were, I mean, they were short, and Connor loves his hair, so we were like, well, we're not going to do it. And, but I went to our volunteers. We have amazing adult volunteers, and I said, we're short. And instantly, they were like, oh, I'll write a check. I'll write a check. I'll write a check. And we got to 15000 that night, and we shaved Connor's head, which was the greatest and so much fun. But I really do. I love working with teenagers. Um, I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that doesn't think like teenagers and students are the future, but they're like, no, this is the church now, is teenagers. So I'm so glad to to be here. Uh, many of you know that I'm married to another pastor and staff, uh, Pastor Josh, and we've been married for 19 years. When we first got, we grew up in Washington, yeah, yeah, 19 years. Some days it's hard being married to me, I know that. Let's give it up for Josh, <laughs> you know? <laughs> he's, he's endured, he's tested, the, been through the refiner's fire, you know, like it's, it's real. Um, but we grew up in Washington, got married here short, like two weeks after we got married, we moved to California to do ministry at a church in California. A month there, one month in, we make, Josh wakes me up in the middle of the night and he's like, it's an earthquake. And like literally, like not a Washington earthquake, a California earthquake. Like our blinds are going crazy, our walls are shaking. And in that moment, like, I start praying. I'm like, oh, dear God, please, you know, forgive me of all my sins. Like, I know I'm about ready to meet you, and I'm sorry for all the wrong things I've done. And, and Josh is, like, over there cussing, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, 
And here's the deal. For 19 years, I have told this story to prove that I am more spiritual than my husband. <laughs> and I mean, that's like what you do in marriage. It's like just how you figure it out. But I have told it to prove that I'm more spiritual. But here's what's crazy recently. As I've started to recall this story more, I've actually realized that maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not the more spiritual one in that story. See, Josh was afraid of an earthquake. He wasn't afraid of meeting Jesus. He was afraid of an earthquake. That's appropriate. I was afraid of an earthquake, of meeting Jesus, of whether or not I was good enough. I mean, actually, my story backfired on me. And the more I begin to process, the more our times, we're living in this time that is a little bit scary, a little bit fearful, I have begun to recognize that fear tends to be my guide, that I tend to see the world and how I experience everything through fear. And when I read the Bible, I, it's so clear that that is actually not what God wants for us, that fear is not what he wants for us. But what is it that he wants for us? What does he want? If it's not fear, what does he want? Well, John, a disciple of Jesus, he wrote a letter to remind people of the life and message of Jesus and to instruct them to walk in the light of God. He did this. He pointed to his readers and he said, look at who God is and be children of God. And he gives us an alternative to fear. And so I want to look at what he said and kind of unpack it a little bit. You can find it in your handout or you can follow along on the screen. It's from 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone, who's, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Here we see that John is reminding us really who we are. He's saying, look, you are loved. You are loved by God. You are children of God. And God loved us first. It was real love that he demonstrated. He sent his son to die, to, to heal the brokenness in this world that was caused by our sin. It's all motivated by love. That's what John's doing. He's saying, look, you, you've experienced love. Now love others. But what does this have to do with fear? Well, John begins to unpack that a little bit. So let's continue. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have to put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid, underline that, on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear, underline no fear. 
Because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. So again, John is recalling this message of love, that you are loved, that Jesus came to earth because you are loved. This is God's great love. But then he turns this corner and he says, this is how you are to live in the world. Live in love. It's a different way. And this love impacts how you face life, how you face death, how you face judgment. This love expels, it casts out, it overrides fear. Where there is fear, love is not the guide. Where there is love, fear cannot be. The two, they struggle to exist together. One writer said it this way, there are only two feelings, love and fear. There are only two languages, love and fear. There are only two activities, love and fear. There are only two motives, two procedures, two frameworks, two results, love and fear, love and fear. And I think we all know, like, instinctively, we all know that love is far superior to fear. But so many of us find ourselves living in that tension of fear. And here, I I do want to say, like, fear is, at times, is good. Like, you know, fear, when that earthquake happens, get in the doorframe. I think that's what it is. I still haven't learned that yet. But I think that's what it is. Or fear, I don't know if I should go there. That looks unknown, unscary. Fear, I don't know if I should jump from that plane. Like, those are sometimes rational and good fear. But that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about that fear that you live in a constant state of what is, what is to come, the unknown. And the fear becomes unresolved, and it leads to despair. It leads to a life paralyzed of asking what is to come, what if, the unknowns, it's fear. In contrast, we know that love connects us to people, that love gives us the strength to fight for what is good and what is right, and ultimately, it connects us to the source of love. So the question is, love or fear? Before I continue, I do just want to pause for one moment, because I do recognize in this room Um, that there are people in this room who your worst fears have been fulfilled. Like, the thing you feared most, whether it was a relationship coming to an end, a death of someone that you loved, or emotional, physical pain, and that fear came. And to you, I just want to say, listen, I'm so sorry. I believe with all my heart that God is with those who are suffering. He is close to those who are in pain. And that love is many times the only thing that gets us through those moments. But I do want to ask, what happens when we let fear guide us? What happens when we let love guide us? And as we do kind of unpack this, here's what I, my challenge to you is, would you do an honest inventory? As we're kind of talking about it and talking about what it looks like, would you just do a little self-evaluation? Like, where am I? What, where do I land when it comes to these things? Do I find myself leaning more this way or this way? Because I think at the end of the day, an honest inventory leads us to making better choices. And here's the reality. I have followed Jesus for a lot of years. And the people I have watched and seen who have chosen love are people who are kind and tender and they are so Christ-like. And then the people I have seen who have chosen fear as their guide They're bitter and angry and alone. 
And so at the end of the day, evaluating where we're at so that we can pick the right path is what we need to do. So let's, let's dive in. When we allow fear to be our guide, the first fill-in there is our view of God is distorted. Something happens in our hearts and we begin to view God differently when we let fear be our guide. I can remember lying in bed recently and I had this overwhelming sense of fear. It was paralyzing fear. I was so afraid and I felt, the fear, I felt it physically because I began to think about my kids and I began to think about the obstacles that they were going to have to face and I began to think about specific hurdles that they were going to have to face in their life and I had this overwhelming sense that what my kids were going to face was the result of my sin, that my kids were being punished for my bad choices and it was paralyzing and I couldn't move. And I I need you to hear, that's a distorted view of God. That is not who God is. In fact, John makes it very clear, this this is who God is. God is love. And if we see God as anything other than love, if we see him as this man in the sky who's watching and waiting to punish us and to punish those we love, to teach us a lesson, that is a distorted view of God. God is love. And if we see God as anything other than love, we might be letting fear be our guide. The next thing is our hearts are hardened when we experience pain. When we experience pain, which we all will, there is no promise of a pain-free life. Even as followers of Jesus, we are not guaranteed that. But when fear is our guide, our hearts get hardened. And the reality is, I think a lot of it is we do it for protection. Like, what can I do? I, can't, I don't want to ever feel this again. I don't want to ever experience this kind of pain. So the only option I have is to harden my heart. The only option is to make sure that it's, my heart is so hard that it cannot hurt anymore. And there's so many different ways we do this. C.S. Lewis said it this way, Perfect love we know casteth out fear. But so do several other things, ignorance, alcohol, passion, presumption, and stupidity. It is very desirable that we should all advance to that perfection of love in which we fear no longer, but it is very undesirable until we have reached that stage that we should allow any inferior agent to cast out fear. If you're using something else to numb the pain, if you're using something else to make sure you cannot feel the pain, then your heart is being hardened and you're letting fear be your guide. One of the reasons I love working with students, and I want to say this to you guys over here, and I see some of you back there too, my friends, my student friends, I want to say this. One of the reasons I love working with you is because I believe your heart is not hardened, that you have not let that happen to you yet. And here's the reality is there are adults who will tell you to do that, to to protect yourself, to toughen up, don't let it hurt so much. And I want to say they're wrong. In fact, Jesus, uh, we know that, we believe that if you ask Jesus for peace, that he will give you peace that passes all understanding and guards your heart. That's how you guard your heart, is you look to Jesus. Don't let fear be your guide. Don't let your heart be hardened. The last thing I think happens when we let fear be our guide is our lives become isolated. 
Fear forces us to ask this question, who can be trusted? And fear always answers the same, no one. No one can be trusted. And so what choice do I have but to isolate myself? But the deal is, I think fear actually starts out a little tricky, right? It usually doesn't, it, it tricks us. It doesn't maybe come out and say no one. It starts with a, a specific group of people. You know, it says you can't trust Muslims, gays, men, women, Democrats, Republicans, the rich, the poor, whites, blacks, Canadians. It's <laughs> probably nothing to fear there, but fear gets us afraid of a group of people and it says you can't trust them and then it moves on to the next group and the next group and then it moves on to your family and you're all alone. You're isolated. That's what fear does. Brene Brown says it this way, worrying about scarcity is our culture's version of post-traumatic stress. It happens when we've been through too much and rather than coming together to heal, which requires vulnerability, we're angry and scared and at each other's throat. Sounds a lot like the world we're living in right now. A bunch of people letting fear be our guide. We are living in a world filled with fear and fear is our guide and we are ending up alone and isolated. And fear is a horrible guide in this life. In fact, there's a wise teacher, um, you may have heard of him, Master Yoda, he said this, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. See, Star Wars all comes back to it. It's a really good movie. Mark your calendars. Fear is a horrible guide. It's a horrible guide. But what is the alternative? John says the alternative is love. So what does a life that love is the guide look like? What happens there? The first thing is this. We rest in our identity as the beloved. Over and over, John tells us in this letter, you are loved. You are a child of God. That's who you are, not because of what you've done, not because of how you behave or don't behave. It doesn't even matter. In fact, you didn't even have a chance to decide you were already loved. You're the beloved and in the middle of the scary and the painful, we hold on to this truth that we are loved, deeply loved. We are the beloved. Paul says this in Romans. He says, what can separate us from the love of God? What could steal your identity as the beloved? Is it death? Is it darkness? Is it demon? And he answers, nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can steal your identity as the beloved. Nothing. So we rest in that identity, and we know, we know the world is going to give us the worst. We know that there will be suffering. We know that there will be destruction. We know that there will be death. But it does not steal our identity as the beloved. None of it. It can't even touch our identity. You are deeply loved. And here's, here's the reality that we hold on to. The one that calls us beloved is the one that says death is not the end. It's resurrection. He says this old thing, I'm going to make it new. He says where there is death and destruction, I will bring life and love and goodness. And that is who calls us beloved. 
So we rest in that identity. The second thing when we let love be our guide is we grow in tenderness in the midst of pain. And I've witnessed this firsthand. I've seen it firsthand. My good friend Jody Landers, when her son was born with severe physical issues, her heart began to break for the millions of children around the world who live in poverty. Her heart broke for the mothers who had uh, no ability to provide the very basic needs for their kids. So she launched this nonprofit to help provide access to jobs for mom, moms around the world so that they could provide for their kids. See, she grew in tenderness in the midst of pain. I think of my friends, the Robertsons and the Thomases, who after experiencing the worst pain in the world of losing a child, they grew in tenderness. Tenderness that led to compassion for caring for other families who were walking the road of suffering. See, we make a choice when we let love be our guide that in the middle of the pain, we don't let our hearts be hardened. We say, I want to be tender. I want to grow in tenderness. The third thing is this, is we find community with those who are different. If fear leads to isolation, love leads to community. You see it in John's words. He says over and over and over, you're loved, you're loved, you were loved first. First you were loved. And then he summarizes it at the very end, which I think is so interesting. He says, love others because you were first loved. That we're called to love others. It's all summed up in how we find community. Love leads us to community. And often with people who are different than us. A fellow youth pastor friend said this, we must teach teenagers to understand the Great Commission. It's going to people who look different and calling them family. How do we love people who are different than us? We make them family. We make them family. John Vanier, who started an intentional community for people with disabilities to live side by side with people who don't have disabilities, he said it this way, but what breaks down the fear? That's the big question. What creates transformation? We meet someone. St. Francis said he always held lepers in repulsion. Then one day the Lord led him to the lepers. He said, when I left them, I had a new gentleness in my body and in my spirit. From then on, I wanted to follow the Lord. When you meet the leper and you listen to him, you realize that he's just a human being. From very deep inside of one, there rises a compassion for life. We overcome fear of people by being in community led by love. Community built on love being our guide. See, the list could go on and on of, of the ways that love is greater than fear. I have this shirt that I like to wear out that says, um, I, love is still the most powerful, powerful force in the world. And everywhere I go, I mean, I could be at the airport, the mall, the grocery store, everywhere people stop me and want to talk about the shirt. Because I think we all know it. We long for this world where love is the guide. So how do we? How do we, in the midst of this scary world, this unknown world where bad things are happening, how do we consistently choose love over fear? I think these are two things that you can do to help. The first one is connection to the source. And not to oversimplify it, but if God is love, connection to him is key. Jesus says, remain in me and I'll remain in you. Connection to him. 
Brennan Manning, he, he wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, and he said it this way, the indispensable condition for developing and maintaining the awareness of our belovedness is time alone with God. Connection requires time, time with God. If that's praying, if that's just sitting and being silent and being, if it's reading his word, if it's listening to music that connects you, if it's solitude, it's time with the source of love. If we determine that a life guided by love is one in which we want our life to be, we have to be connected to the source of love. The passage says this, live in love, live in God. They go together. That by being connected to God, we are able to live a life of love. And then connection to the source always leads us kind of to this next step, which is connection to the family. With connection to the source, we gain a family. Family is a strong word, and for some of us, it's a really hard and messy word. But here's my encouragement. Don't let your, the difficulty, the mess of that word keep you there, because that's fear. Push through. You choose connection to each other. We have to choose to let God's overflowing love lead us to loving others. Why? Because John says, because God first loved us. And here at Overlake, we make a big deal about connection. We talk about it all the time. We talk about different ways. We talk about rooted. We talk about life groups. We talk about serving in various ministries as a way of being connected. And I want to encourage you that you can choose love by taking a step. Like, what's the next step you need to take to be connected to the family here? I want to encourage you to push past that fear and join a life group, join a ministry to serve. The more connected you are to the family, the more you begin to experience the life and love of community versus isolation. So here's the deal. I know these steps are kind of simple. They're easy. And I think they're easy to say, but when you're paralyzed with fear, taking the next step of being connected to the source or connected to the family it requires courage. It requires a little bit of uh, knowing that what's on the other side is going to be good. And so I, what I want to do is I want to read a portion of this passage from First John today over you. But I want to read it, and I want you to kind of, I want to ask you to close your eyes and just listen to the words. And listen to the words that they might give you courage to choose a life of love. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear. Perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other. Because he first loved us. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to be connected to you. We want to know 
love. We want to know what it means to be beloved, to, to rest in that as our identity. God, we're so tired of being afraid. Fear is an easy option, God, but we want love. We want love to be our guide. I pray for my friends and for myself as we struggle with the fear of the unknown, of what might happen to people we love. God, would we look to you? Would we live in you so that we might experience the tenderness, the compassion, the community that comes by letting love be our guide? We're hopeful for what is good and what, what you have for us, so we trust in you. Amen.